and that giant cacophony tells you that once again you're with the Power of Three podcast. I say once again, it's actually only day two of our podcast today in the run-up to the 60th anniversary, but it seems like it's been a lot more, well, particularly for myself and my co-conspirator. I'm Kenny Smith. And I'm David Steele. Welcome back. Thank you for joining us. We're continuing our little daily crusade through the different adventures of the Doctors in the various books that have been published over the years. And obviously with today being day two, because we're quite traditionalist in that way that we consider Project Troughton to be the second Doctor, we're doing a story featuring the second Doctor. Kenny, which book are we talking about today? Well, Dave, we are travelling back to the Earth year 1997, and we're going to look at The Dark Path, which is a second Doctor adventure with Jamie and Victoria, and Koshai, although you may better know him as somebody else. Is that how it's pronounced? That's interesting, because I've always pronounced it as Koshi in my head. That's yes. very interesting. Well, the author has um, confirmed it's Koshai, so... Interesting. It's, um, it's the mask of Man- Mandragora all over again, or as I always pronounced them for the five days after we got the radio times before Modern Undead started, Turlog. <laughs> <laughs> Were you ever a fan of Kostrovova and Logopolis? Or Logopolis, well, if you're in Glasgow? Way. Well, I saw them. I saw them when they went out. So you know, my pronunciation of those ones was correct from the off. But um, I remember my sister having fun when she started HMV because Alison was in HMV for a few years as well, and she would occasionally wind customers up by mispronouncing it. And and I. <laughs> oh, that's very good. That's very very good. Um, and adding a couple of extra letters into local populace just to kind of um. Just to create confusion. Yeah, I do. I think I told you previously, but I went to the BBC shop once to get the latest Fourth Doctor video, and when I phoned up to check, they told me that they had the Italians of Wang Chung in stock. So <laughs> there we go. A little bit of eighties music there for people like things. But listeners, which Doctor Who stories or characters have you ever mispronounced before you've seen the stories? Write in and let us know. That would be rather good. But hey, we've been talking nineties. We're talking sixties, <laughs> both at the same time. And we're talking about The Dark Path. But before we go on, let's hear the back cover blurb. He's one of my own people, Victoria. And he's hunting me. Dark Heart, a faded neutron star surrounded by dead planets. But there is life in one of these icy rocks. The last enclave of the Earth Empire, frozen in the image of another time. As the rest of the galaxy enjoys the fruits of the fledging federation, these isolated Imperials, bound to obey a forgotten ideal, harbour a dark obsession. The Doctor, Jamie and Victoria arrive to find that the federation has at last come to reintegrate this lost colony, whether they like it or not. But all is not well in federation camp. Relations and allegiances are changing. The fierce Veltrochne, angered by the murder of their kinsmen, have an entirely different agenda and someone else is manipulating the mission for his own mysterious reasons. Another time traveller, a suave and assured master of his work. The Doctor must uncover the terrible secret which brought the Empire to this desolate sector and find the source of the strange power maintaining their society. But can a Time Lord, facing the ultimate temptation, control his own desires? Dave, what's your thoughts on the front cover with that Alistair Pearson cover? Oh, it's gorgeous. It's a cracker. I mean, the because we're recording these in a very timey-wimey type way, I can't remember if we've discussed the template for the Missing Adventures. We probably have. We probably did it yesterday. You probably heard us say this already. 
but yeah, it's it's a it's a brilliant likeness of Roger Delgado, especially by our Alistair Pearson, and Troughton looking, you know, very thoughtful, very preoccupied. Yeah, it's you know you couldn't go wrong. He was he was he was kind of the go-to guy for quite a long time, and well regarded for the you know the photorealistic qualities that he could bring to his likenesses. Some of the the covers were always quite a little bit more stylized. But you know, Pearsons were all, always everyone's favourites, and it's quite ironic nowadays that um, so much of the artwork that we get on releases is is just manipulating photographs rather than getting some someone in to paint something that looks like a photograph. What does that mean exactly? I don't know. <laughs> I'm gonna start a new podcast myself to talk about that. And of course, this one's got that other Alistair Pearson trademark of PSW and AGH, those cover initials that friends initials you like to put on. And of course, we've also got the Viltrochny. Um, which were David's aliens that he invented along with the Soon, uh, which popped up in a few of his novels. So talking about David's novels, he did quite a few over the years, Doctor yeah. Lies, in the New Adventures, White Darkness, First Frontier and Sanctuary. Yep. And... I um, I mean, I'll be honest, listeners, I haven't read The Dark Path. It came out quite near the end, and I didn't read the last handful of, um, of New Adventures and some of the last... Missing adventures we published basically because my my sort of I've just tweeted I've just been tweeting about this actually because listen I've just finished rereading um, Return of the Living Dad and that also has one of the soon in it as a character which is worth mentioning yeah I stalled basically early 1997 because I stopped working in Abbey National and wasn't working for a couple of months so my regular commuting which when I when I used to do all my reading kind of stopped. And I remember towards the end of the year, I did read some of the missing adventures, but I never got back to finishing the new adventures. But the Dark Path was one of those ones. Hands up, I didn't, I didn't read it at the time. But I did read, I did read some of David's other books. I remember really liking White Darkness, really quite atmospheric. Um, I remember really, really liking First Frontier. Very clear memories of reading that summer, nineteen ninety-five, with his, you know, great use of the Master and that, obviously. Yeah, because David's obviously a huge fan of the Master and. Uh... Well, obviously he's in this book, and in this one he gets to for it, as we will later dub when we speak to him shortly, the governor, Roger Delgado. Um, so yeah, I think, um, I mean, David's got some you know, an awful lot of books there that's for the missing adventures, the Lords of the Storm, Shadow Wind, Shining, Dark Path, for the BBC, Past Doctors, Face of the Enemy, Mission and Practical, Wages of Sin, which is a fantastic book where Joe and the Third Doctor and Liz Shaw go back and they meet Rasputin. Really, really good read. We think it's going to be the Master who's Rasputin, of course, but it's not. Who would ever do that? And uh, really good read. And I also did Bullet Time, a Seventh Doctor one, and then The Eleventh Tiger, which was a First Doctor historical. And it is just, it's lyrical. I think it's an incredible read. Really, really enjoyable. Cannot recommend it enough. Oh, and also Autumn Mist for the EDAs. And we'll be hearing from David very soon on Pieces of Eighth about that one. But The Dark Path, really enjoyable read. I mean, it's that people always said that the second Doctor was really hard to capture in print, as quite a lot of authors said, because of so much of it was in the physical performance from Troughton's face and his reactions. But yeah, yeah. in this one, he's very, David absolutely nails him. He's got, you've just got that sort of slightly, you know, thinking two steps ahead without quite being the seventh Doctor. And you can see that he's always aware of what's going on. And there's a real surprise when he meets Koshai and um, there's that sort of delight. And then there's also that sort of betrayal when Koshai uh, discovers that he's been betrayed by somebody who's not the Doctor. Yeah. 
I mean, I read a synopsis obviously in preparation and stuff, and it seems like a bit of a tragedy. It seems that watching, and I mean this in the best possible terms, reading the synopsis in, in IHU, it almost seems that reading this book was like watching a, a car crash in slow motion because it's a prequel of sorts, obviously. Um, we know that the, ultimately the way the Doctor and the Master relationship is going to play out and how it's going to be. So this is obviously the, the start of it all. So going to pot, and it's, um, I can imagine reading it would probably be quite painful because you know what's coming and you hope it's not going to go that way. But of course, inevitably it does. Yeah, and it's, I mean, David absolutely nails the, the Delgado Master, or Koshai as he is, and he's... It just very much, you, know, you can hear him saying every single word. A sudden thought occurs to me, was this the only time that Delgado's master appeared on A Missing Adventure? I think you're right, actually. I'm just I'm just going through my head. Yeah, yeah that's, it is. That's what, yeah, that's what sort of strikes me, is that the, I remember the cover making a real impact because it was like the juxtaposition of the second Doctor with his version of the master who we're most used to seeing with Johnsy. So I remember... Now think about it, yeah, I, it, it probably was. And it's, I think one good thing about the New Adventures was the restraint they showed in not solely, you know, going back on um, recurring monsters and enemies so often, you know, as often as, often as maybe they could do. I mean, Iceberg is probably the only Cyberman heavy New Adventure that I can think of. And then was it Killing Ground with Steve Lyons was probably yep. the only missing adventure. They couldn't use the Daleks, obviously. Um, Ice Warriors were used a couple of times. I can remember what God Engine and Legacy mean, being the main ones that they that they were used in there. But um, it's it's quite interesting to think that you know the Master really wasn't used that often. But yeah. by by Virgin, but you've got to admire that, you know, because I can imagine a lot of spin-off fiction um, just taking the easy option and just going for you know. Like, like we get, unfortunately, with a lot of stuff nowadays, you know, endless recurring enemies and endless sort of team-ups, but, you know, Virgin had great restraint with all that sort of thing. Yeah, I mean, I think it's it's a really good read, and I recommend it. I think it's, it's it feels epic. There's, there's an awful lot in there. There's some good action stuff. There's some really good emotional stuff. And in many ways, it was, I think, this is probably my second favourite of David's books, topped only by the 11th Tiger and and it's which is just such a good read we'll have to maybe chat to him about that in the future um, and The Wages of Sin is another great one but for me this one is this one is definitely right up there as a as a damn awesome. good read awesome well see as I say now that I'm kind of I've I've just reread Return of the Living Dad with the intention of going on to read the last of the new adventures that I didn't read back in the day so I'm going to try and properly do it old school and read some of the missing adventures that I didn't read at the time as well so I'll probably get to the dark path very soon. So shall we shall we hear from the man himself now? Absolutely. He's originally from up Stirling Way and he's now living down south. So let's chat with the one and the only. In fact, why don't we let him introduce himself? There we go. So if you'd be kind enough to introduce yourself as the author of The Dark Path. Um well you've just done that. <laughs> <laughs> So yeah, I'm, I'm David McIntyre, and uh, as Kenny has just said, I, I wrote the Virgin um, Missing Adventures Dark Path, among others, and uh, I guess that's what we're here to talk about, this um, uh, second Doctor bit. It is indeed. I thought you said second David. Doctor there, <laughs> but no, it's second. Second. <laughs> second. Yeah. That's a different story entirely. Um... It's, it's, yeah, I mean... <laughs> The second Doctor book, but it, it was my uh, 
I don't know, seven or something. <laughs> the numbers yeah. start to get really strange. Yeah. <laughs> but I suppose that, I mean, this one was always going to happen. I mean, given that um, you've always been a big fan of the Master, you'd written and killed off Anthony Ainley, created a new Master in First Frontier. Yeah. So I suppose coming back to, to do the original, to do the Governor, was, uh, I suppose that was always on the cards once the Missing Adventures started. Yeah, I mean, uh, literally, as soon as they say, right, we're going to do previous doctors, I'm like, yeah, I have to do it. I have to do something with him, uh, with the original master, but he's the definitive version. Um, and certainly, he was the definitive version back in 1997, when I wrote the thing. And we have had, we have had, like, Missy, for example, since who, who uh, was also fun in a completely different way, you know, on Sim and we had Sasha Darwin. But back then, obviously, even I don't think even Big Finish had started yet. So it was just what was in the original TV And yeah, I'd done Aunt Ainley, they'd done a new one. I've done the red heron where it's not him at all. Yes. <laughs> and, uh, and, and yeah, let's actually, uh, let's actually have a Delgado. So. Yeah. What is it about the master that appeals to you so much? I, I think it's that, and I think what also appeals to actors as well, and you hear a lot of them sort of say an equivalent to this, that when you're playing the hero, Depending on what sort of range you've got, and and you know your look and your screen persona and all the rest of it, when you if you're playing the hero, you can't do anything too evil because it will turn the audience against you. When you're playing the villain, you can do good stuff, and this is the whole point that came later to um, face the enemy before the new. You can do good stuff without ruining the character. And Delgado always had that air about him. Yeah, he he he's got the suave look. He's he's got that air about him on screen. That yeah, he he can be very nasty. Or in say Falls of Ixos, for example, he can sort of be the good guy for an episode and keep the character just solid. And and so at first he thought there's a part of the brain that goes you know that that's actually a more sort of more interesting character even than the doctor is because you can't have an evil doctor but with a master you can try all these different things and it will still work so i always love that with, with villains uh in general whether it be in doctor who or in star trek or in you know the bond villains and so on they need to have that range where, yeah, they can be charming. You can actually like them in, on some level. And it doesn't wreck the character. Because that's what the character is or does. It probably says more about my view on what the character should be like. <laughs> <laughs> and also, there's a more general thing that I find in, in movies and books and what have you. There's, there's that is... Is the character actually a villain? Yeah, the master definitely is actually a villain. But when you look at some other characters out with, 
Doctor Who and you, you get, for example, um, the example I often use is Conrad Veidt as Jafar in Thief of Baghdad. And you could have him be an incarnation of the Master quite easily. You think, well, he does bad things, he kills the princesses, dad, uh, he builds this robot version of Mary Morris and so on. But then you think, but to be fair, he kills the princess's dad who was going to sell her for, you know, some trinkets and toys. The only reason he's cast as a villain is because of what John Justin, you know, the other guy who is cast as the good guy. And therefore the person opposite him has to be cast as the villain. <laughs> Even though we first meet John Justin sort of stalking her, the princess and spying on her. So you've got that whole, or I love that whole issue of just, yeah, at what point does it become a villain rather than just somebody with some dubious moral choices? I mean, that's the thing about this book, because obviously at the start with, obviously he's not the master at this point, yeah. and he's not actually a villain per se. Just no, not to start order. with. Yeah. yeah, and that must have been so much fun, sort of deciding, also giving the master a name, and then also sort of plotting his, as, as the title says, the dark path that he treads. Yeah, which is obviously next to Star Wars, you know, once down the dark path forever will it dominate your destiny. Yoda says, although this is pre prequels, you know, we haven't had, you know, Anakin Skywalker and company yet. Because you know, Phantom Menace didn't come out for another two years, so it's interesting that okay, <laughs> they're doing the right. How did Vader become Vader? And how does the Master become the Master? And because these things are interesting things to take. And again, when you when you look back into the actual the little clues in the show in the TV episode. And you think this whole stuff about the Celestial Intervention Agency and all this, and you sort of think, okay, well, the Doctor's, I don't know, he's a bit lightweight to be tough like Harry Palmer, but you get the idea. He's he's the one who's not Bond. And Shai, who will become the Master, he's he's basically like the Connery Bond, you know? <laughs> And that's kind of what's in my head. Roger Delgado plays the Connery Bond for like half the thing and then turns evil. <laughs> um, You've got the name from, uh, it has got sort of classical origins as well. Yeah, it, it's from Kashai the Deathless from Russian mythology, which uh, that's another one of these things where it connects up to later on. You just. You know, I knew when I was writing Wages of Sin, oh, everybody's going to assume that Rasputin's the master. because And, and because he, you know, gave my Russian origin name anyway. <laughs> um, if anyone would ever do that. Oh. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> you could give an actor a good chance to, to have some good fun doing that. <laughs> yeah. Um, give him a song and a dance as well. Yeah, yeah. I mean, I love that that scene. That was like my favourite bit. Even though it, it's, I think for for various reasons, it was kind of unwise to have the master be a historical character who really existed without lining that up and sort of explaining well what's happened to the original, and it was still kind of knocking off Last of the Time Wars. 
<laughs> I mean, with the idea of having the song and dance number. But then who am I to complain? Because, I mean, me and Jim Mortimore many years ago, again, before the show came by, uh, we, we pitched, um, we wanted to do a Bollywood big finish. Uh, right <laughs> when Gary was in charge, and Gary took it to the BBC, and the BBC were very firmly of the opinion that that, that would happen over my and Jim's dead bodies. Uh, <laughs> and I'm just really amazed that, you know, the, the show post-2005 hasn't done something like that. And doubly so, especially since Miss Marvel came out, which, you know, that was a that was a great show and there was plenty of Bollywood in that. <laughs> of course, we've got to get to meet the Viltrockney as well. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, because they'd been mentioned. I think I've mentioned them in previous books, and then I'm like, I try to think of, okay, we've got a new bunch of aliens. You know, I try to think of a new name for them. Why bother? I've got a bug. <laughs> I have a name for some aliens who I can stick in here. Right, there you go. <laughs> it must be good oh, fun creating races like that. Obviously, we've had the two oh, as yeah. well. Yeah, it's like, okay, we've got a bit of Klingon and a bit of Predator and a bit of... Uh, you know, something else and a bit of this and a bit of that and then try and work it out. And I, I, I used to sort of get a little bit too much into it with, with, with them and the Sontarans and stuff like that by thinking, wait a minute, and, and even soon, but I think Frontier, you know, where I'd think, like, okay, how do they breathe, all this stuff. And then come up with the languages, and it's not just like, oh, you know, they just bring on language for, for Star Trek and stuff. It's like, okay, they have different types of jaws and mouths or whatever. What sounds can they make to be able to communicate? And I probably overthink that stuff too much, <laughs> at least for at least for a you know new adventure sized. Or, or miss an adventure-sized paperback. I mean, if it was like a Peter Hamilton-sized paperback, yeah, that's where I should get into <laughs> How did you find writing for this Doctor? Because a lot of people said that the second Doctor is so hard to capture, given that so much yeah, comes from Troughton. I heard that. And, you know, I went and I watched the episodes and I listened to the, the uh, such audio recordings as I had. And then just wrote and sort of as he came over to me and I thought but he's actually got character so you could do something with it whereas some of the other doctors I think the one I always have the, the one I'm always kind of most disappointed when I'm doing actually is is Pertwee who I love on screen but so much of, of when you're trying to write him is just like the gestures that he's being out of whereas when you've got somebody where there's a lot of layers and you can get back and interpret what they're doing, so certainly Trout and Hartnell and so on, that's more interesting. And I think, yeah, maybe that maybe that just means that one gets lucky in having him actually seem the way he is. And I know this can be a, te a temptation if you don't like a particular doctor to write for a generic doctor, or even to write for another doctor. I know when I was... Uh, when I, I got some practice earlier because I know when I was writing um, for the new adventures, part of my brain is going, I don't really like Sylvester's performance as the Doctor. I never have. I mean, Sylvester himself is great. You know, he's always funny hanging around. But when I was writing those, I'd be like, okay, 
inject more Troughton. <laughs> and that kind of seemed to work. And so maybe, maybe it meant like a, somewhere at the back of my brain got a little bit more, more of a, a right Troughton mindset. I don't know. You know, I, it's up, it's up to the audience. They sort of figure did I get the job right? So that's the only things I can sort of think about it that might explain it or that. Oh, I, I get what you mean because I think there's a lot of people have said that they found that um, if in doubt with McCoy, just add a, just a little flaking of of Triton and then just add that yeah. into the mix. Um, yeah. Something that. Of course, was of interest was the fact that um, the master had his own companion in this, which I remember first time was like, "Oh, why wouldn't yeah. the master have a companion?" And of course, that sort of all helps with his descent. Yeah, sort of, <laughs> um, in a very different way than it's supposed to. The original concept was, and it wouldn't work with the post two thousand and five series actually. So, it's probably just as well that retrospectively that it didn't end up being that way was the Isla the companion would die in hopefully not just a virgin sort of thing but you know it, it would mean something very important for the reason that we sort of can interpret through the, the TV show and certain episodes anyway that the Doctor's everybody's friend, but has never experienced love. Or um, I don't just mean in a sexual way, I mean in essentially that really deep, like, to, to him, humans are pets, right? Uh, although we haven't lost our, our big ginger cat last, uh, last month. So, yeah, it still hits you as well. Yeah. Um, and that conversely, the, the Master hacks. Not that he's like binding his companions, but he has sort of got that much deeper emotional, mental connection. Possibly because he's had the same one for longer or something. I don't remember. And that it's that, it's having known love that, that destroys him, uh, essentially. And that's how the Doctor has always survived without going crazy. But then they decided, oh, wouldn't uh, our virgin figured like since it turns out that the uh, this going to happen, wouldn't it add to his sense of betrayal with regard to the Time Lords if she's actually a Time Lord who's been watching him all along for whatever reason? I'm not entirely sure. And therefore, she regenerates, and that makes him think, oh, the Time Lords have betrayed me, and <laughs> now I'll, I'll go mad about them. Uh, and so that's what it ends up being. And then what happens is a, a writer is, I think she starts off, if I remember rightly, that I was writing her as Linda Thorson, as Tara <laughs> King, and then regenerates into Diana Wright, because who'd want to do it the other way? Uh, <laughs> Much as that would have been a great cliffhanger at the end of Honor Majesty's Secret Service, you know. Tracy <laughs> gets killed and regenerates into Tara King. Uh, <laughs> so, so basically, that's how that came about. And there's various pros and cons retroactively 
or ripped effectively with that there's some ways in which it's like yeah that was just totally wrong we shouldn't have done that and in other ways it's like well it, it actually is probably just as well we did because then for example like in revenge of the sith seven years later they they went the other and then everybody would have thought I was ripping that off, even though this book came out seven years beforehand. You know what people are like, yeah. Oh, yes. <laughs> Don't check the dates when they find it on Amazon or on the, the charity. <laughs> um. I think it, it's a great... I think um, you can tell that you're having a lot of fun with it as well, and building up to the fact that um, you've, you've pushed them to the edge and then you've broken them, and then we just do get that... He's down at the point, and then he just he's rising and rising again, yeah. and it's and it and it really does come across that sort of that feeling of power, the sort of growing within him, and um, when he's as he's taking control of the dark heart. Yeah, yeah. Which uh, I, yeah, that was an interesting that was an interesting thing trying to figure out how, who would that look and stuff. Yeah, we can have all manner of weird everything inside itself or outside itself going on and not have to worry about budget I love those kind of things yeah being freed of the restrictions it's too broad and too deep and yeah, uh, yeah. budgetless and you know that that's the main thing that I always sort of took that description you know it's like yeah we can go to locations that we can't do uh, on TV or we can have a a way bigger cast or we can cast these bigger names or we can have ludicrous effects that you could never have done on 1993 BBC budget official and still be yeah. gone. Because I was wondering when you were writing this, did you picture it in black and white in your mind's eye? Mostly. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And and also with um, the Eleventh Tiger, which was much later, obviously. Yeah. But Ian Hartnell, yeah, yeah again, yeah. it's it was a bit weird, a, a bit weird that one. I know we're not talking about that bit today because of, you know, we're talking about Dark Path, but on that one, it's like yeah, when when we were having scenes where oh, there's just the Chinese characters or whatever, it's like, okay, it's in colour and then any time any of the cast are in it, any of the, the regular you know, Ian or Barbara or the, the Doctor Barbara? Yeah, uh, was, and Vicky as well then it was in black and white <laughs> because that's how that's how I see yeah. and so yeah, in the dark path as well for the most part it's white and white yeah uh, it's funny because I read it in black and white if that makes sense yeah it's like you could see like okay we'll we'll render the the CG space battle bits in colour but everything else yeah it's like a special white. edition David that's what it is it's a special edition yeah. remastered years later Lucasfilm yeah. I mean there's some there's some Doctor Who episodes for the colour eras where actually they work better in black and white I mean if you watch like um Especially like Day of the Daleks, Planet, Genesis, yeah, uh, any of those, and turn the color off. They are just like raised to you know the next level up. Especially in Genesis's case. I've never done that. Guess what I'm doing later? I'm gonna I'm gonna an episode of Genesis tonight in black and white. Because the Daleks themselves, that design and and with that, especially the ones with the petroleum color scheme. They look so much better in black and white than they do in colour. Just 
<laughs> just take my word for it. <laughs> well, go take my word for it. Go and go and put on an episode. And anybody else, listen, go and put on an episode of like a seventies Dalek story and turn the color off. Or just take out your original VHS of Planet of the Daleks before they restored it. <laughs> yeah. Well, that's how that's how it ends. I mean, that you get to that episode and and suddenly the Daleks look much better. Yeah. That's. 26 years since The Dark Path came out. How do you look back on it now and where does it fit in your personal canon? Oh, I have no idea. I enjoyed doing it. And, I mean, on the one hand, I didn't enjoy making the the changes that were required. But I also would rather have done them, you know, than, than had some, you know, somebody else um, so at least I saw the measure and control. So I enjoyed doing it, and I, I enjoyed, you know, writing for those characters and doing some some of that epic kind of stuff. So I, I definitely enjoyed it. I mean, I still think my favourite of my own books are like Golden Tiger. Yeah, maybe this or Shadow of Wenchang, then or in the next, the next slot down after that. But then if you ask me on a different day, I'd probably have a different answer, depending on, you know, what the focus is or what, whether I'd, I'd cause to go back and you need some of them. So, but at the moment, yeah, so you're looking at what, sort of, third or four? Yeah. Somewhere in there. It's at the top end, so where it deserves to be. I have to say, 11th Tiger is a great read, and if there's anybody listening who's never read it, go and find yourself a copy, because it is such a great read. I think it's just magnificent. It's, I just remember reading that and thought, that is a good one, and reread it again the following month. So, And people people often ask you, what's your favourite of the things you've done? And I'm like, actually, my favourites are probably the non-fiction. My favourites are probably Beautiful Monsters. Yeah. or one of the ones that I've done for Osprey uh, you know so non-fiction ones tend to be my absolute favourite yeah uh, yeah it's always really hard to decide they're all your kids right yeah. or, or, or your cats for sure <laughs> <laughs> but no that's it's fab I think it's, it's, it's good reading it's been lovely to, to revisit it because I just uh, this was at, at the time I just thought wow Great reads, great, really good characters, and your love of the master absolutely shone through with that one. Yeah, and and also enjoyed. We we haven't mentioned him, but I have. I also enjoyed um, writing for Jamie in that one because of being Scotty, the first <laughs> Scotsman to write for Jamie, of course. Um, I'm not sure. I think you were. I'm just. I'm running through my head. TV writers in the books. Yeah, yeah. Uh, I'm not sure because. Was he in Stuart Black? Is he? Was he Scottish? No, I think I think he was of Scottish descent, but I don't think he was a Scot. So, all right, there you go. Yeah. So, yeah, you can take the credit. I know I was the first person to write the first Scottish person to write for Scott in Star Trek. I know that. Yeah, <laughs> but Jamie, I'm not so sure. I just wanted him to be a bit more, a bit more Scottish. Yeah, oh, it's, it's properly. Modern stories, right? which Absolutely. probably is completely the wrong thing today. Because <laughs> <laughs> like he's from he's from the 18th century. He should probably uh, have. I should probably have written even 
Oh, no, he's, he's got less modern than he was to start with. <laughs> <laughs> he's so had a much... lot of bad influence for the doctor and, and company, isn't he? So Yeah. Yeah, we'll let him we'll let him away with it. We'll let him go. But no, it's been brilliant, David. Thank you so much for your time. Yeah. Yeah, it's okay. It's always weird um but interesting to see what will bubble up through the memory. Yeah. When been talking about stuff that are so long ago. And a big thanks to David for his time and having a chat with us about the dark path. Which very much so. Very yep. much so. Thank you, David. And as we are customarily doing as we go through these books, we're digging out I Who, where they have made reference to these books. Let's hear what the unauthorised guide to Doctor Who novels has to say on page 51 of Volume 1. The Doctor re-meets his old friend Kashai after 200 years and shakes his hand with warmth, perfectly setting the stage for the tragedy to follow. The dark path unfolds in the most logical way possible, placing the Doctor and Kashai at the same point on the philosophical spectrum, then moving them far apart. Unlike The Phantom Menace, this prequel has some surprises, and although the space battles seem to be derivative of Star Trek lore, the story is better for it. Overall, a total win, proving why McEntee has risen to become the novel's master's master. That's quite a good little pun there, I like that. That'll do. That'll do. Not bad. Not bad. A, a nice a nice review <laughs> compared to some of the other ones that we've... Again, timey-wimey, we're not doing these in order, listeners. Compared to some of the other ones we see, yeah, that's fine. That'll do. Good. It is. So remember, you can follow us on our socials at Power of Three Pod on the Twitter. Uh, we've got a Facebook page which is up and running, so you can come on and comment and share your thoughts on this book on there. And of course, you can find Dave on Twitter as well, or X, whatever you want to call it. Yep, I'm under Dave Ad Steel. Um, you can also, at this point, obviously steer you towards the Earth Two podcast, Peter and I's journey through the DC Comics multiverse. And obviously, we'll remind you about Kenny's passion project, Pieces of Eight, his yep. eighth Doctor Dedicated podcast. Yes, which has got a whole load of, uh, I've got another 18 episodes sitting and needing editing, and this one came first. So yes, we're having a look at the second <laughs> run of EDA books from the Taint all the way up to the Ancestor Cell, so that'll be coming soon. Not quite sure when, but it'll be coming soon. And lots of exclusive interviews with, with various authors, including David E. McEntee. So there we go. So Dave, that's the end yes. of day two. Shall we head off to our timey-wimey spaceship vault thing and return tomorrow with another book? Yes, I, yeah, I think that's an excellent idea. Third Doctor tomorrow. What are we going to be talking about? Listeners, you'll have to tune in and find out. Won't Indeed. This patient won't kill you. Yeah. Um, Kevin, was a better ask you what we're playing out with today. Well, Dave, we've been chatting about the master. We've mentioned Rasputin already. So, <laughs> with a nice little throw forward to a future incarnation of Kushai, why don't we go with something that appears in the power of a doctor? It's Rasputin from Boney M. That'll do. Bye bye, everyone. Ta ta. <laughs> <laughs>